Good morning. This is Jean Abshire with the International Power Hour. I'm here with my colleague, Cliff Staten, and also our guest this morning is our intern that you have uh, heard a couple of times, I think, um, Tegan Sage. We are doing a... Welcome, Tegan. Thank you. Welcome, Thank you very much. Thank you. We are doing an episode this morning of our occasional series, Our World at Home. And um, Tegan has a unique background. Typically in our world at home, we have um, <clears throat> talked to people in our community from uh, wh whose roots are in other countries. And, and Tegan, you're sort of, sort of half one foot in and half one foot out. Yeah, that's absolutely true. So I was born in Lexington, Kentucky, right here in the bluegrass. Um, but when I turned seven, I uh, moved to Germany with my mother. She remarried, and uh, my stepdad is German. And so we moved there to be with him in a little town called Remscheid in Germany, which is in the west. And, and in kind of like west central by, yeah. by Dusseldorf and Cologne. Exactly. Cologne. Very close <laughs> to the border of the Netherlands, uh, pretty right. close to France. So, so did you speak German, any German at all prior to going to? None at all. One of none my uh, earliest memories, my first day of, of, um, of first grade in Germany, um, I, I, uh, could not, I couldn't communicate with anybody at all. So my, I met my, my best friend that day, actually. That Aww. turned out, yeah, we were friends for, for 13 years. And uh, we couldn't speak, so we, we just played a game of, of Fußball, or soccer, with a rock, uh, and, and just sort of gestured at each other and that was all we needed at that point i think we were both wearing glasses too so it was a bonding bonding. <laughs> <laughs> that is one thing about children is that they are often uh, more capable than adults of overcoming mm. language barriers very true so you you moved to germany unable to speak the language in first grade and how long did you live there so i lived in germany for about 13 years i went through my entire uh, basically primary education there um, and uh, what brought me here was that I decided uh, that I wanted to pursue uh, my bachelor's degree in, in the States and kind of return to the roots um, after all that time. Okay, well, tell us a little bit about schooling in Germany. Mm, absolutely. So the first four years are, are really pivotal in, in German schooling. It's um, what Can Germans I ask, call did you have to... Since you didn't speak German, did uh -huh. they set up a special class for you, or were you just yeah. immersed and thrown into the <laughs> into the school system? It, it was both. It was okay. both. I, I think that I was very fortunate because uh, they did set up sort of an after-school program for me in which uh, basically all we did was vocabulary. So everything else I was able to kind of pick up as we went along. Sure. Through play and, and through watching German television and, and in class. But then I would meet with, uh, with a wonderful woman, Frau Brandschneider. I'll never forget her because she would meet with me very frequently after, after class and, and just go over vocab with me. And that was really uh, the little push that I needed to, to, to really uh, be able to interact with my peers. I was also very lucky that, um, that my homeroom teacher was also the English teacher at the school. Oh, okay. So she, uh, I think they might have done that on purpose, no right? Accident, yeah. yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so she was able to talk to me and, and made me feel very, very welcome. And, uh, and a lot of Germans were that way, actually. Very accommodating uh, mm -hmm. in, their, in their language and in English. I was injured in first grade, had a, had a really bad concussion, and I had to go to the wow. hospital. And um, 
the doctor is there. Is that from playing soccer with rocks? Or? <laughs> <laughs> you got to watch those headers Something when you're like dealing that. with stones. <laughs> Actually, it was another episode with my best friend. Uh, I had just learned uh, a, a naughty German word, which I was uh, practicing on him, and he didn't like that. Course. And, you know, a shove turned into I fell down. But, you know, we went to the doctor, and the, the doctor there was so good at English, he was just speaking to me in English. Um, but I was so shocked and, and upset that I would only answer in German. Oh, that's so. Funny. <laughs> this is a weird, <laughs> weird situation. So you yeah. you were given one-on-one tutoring, is yes, that right? That is correct. Yeah, and it was just me in the classroom. And at the time, okay. of course, I didn't think anything of it. But, yeah. but looking back on it, I have to say that really did give me a leg up, particularly compared to some of my peers who were, um, I suppose, the first in their family to be to be born in Germany or had even come over as young children often from, uh, from places like Turkey or, or even Morocco. I knew a, a young man from Morocco. And so you weren't the only immigrant child in the school? No. no. Okay. Well, actually, funnily enough, at this school, it was mostly Italians. But oh. I will say Italians. I went to... Yeah, Italians. Guest workers. Mm-hmm. Here's, the, yes. here's yes. the key. Here's the key. I went to uh, a Catholic um, uh, elementary school. Okay. So that made a difference, I think. So uh, really, the only other children that weren't Germans were what, either Polish or uh, or Italian, yeah. And were they given comparable tutoring assistance? You know, it did not seem that way to me. They also, even though they had been born in Germany, all spoke with an accent, um, which I would assume they had picked up at home. And uh, mm-hmm. there was a, a sharp difference there uh, in my mind. They did have Italian classes, but of course that, that didn't really help them with their German that much. Mm. Interesting. So, so in what, the equivalent of elementary school. So mm-hmm. you, you, do the other students learn English at all? Or was this option or what? So at this time, I'm trying to remember. At this time, so English classes are <coughs> mandatory. That, is, that yeah. is absolutely the case. For everyone. For everybody. And these days, and I believe also almost all the way through your schooling, possibly up until 10th grade, you might be able to switch it for some other foreign language. But you have to have a foreign language. So most um, Germans are bilingual. To some extent. Absolutely. absolutely. That, that's, I would absolutely say that. And, and English almost seems to be like, oh, yeah, everyone speaks English because it's the language with which they, they interact on it in a political sphere. Yeah. Right. Um, so let's see. The, um, so the, the, the uh, English language learning in the schools. Were, were, oh, so yes, other of kids course. did start out pretty young? Yeah. These days it's mm-hmm. first grade. So that's where the shift is. I believe we started in third grade. So at the time, uh, it was great for me, obviously, because it was my favorite class. (laughs) Sure, (laughs) not surprising. For once, I actually, you know, it really gave me a leg up. Advantage. Yeah, but these days, so all my siblings started in first grade. Yeah, interesting. Mm -hmm. So that's, I mean, that is so different from here. Oh, very much so. They're doing it right. Uh, We don't start languages until probably junior high when we should right. start foreign language in the first in the first grade when it comes Absolutely. natural yeah. yeah you learn it without when thinking when, when it's, it's, it's a game exactly yeah. yeah but also i do think that a big element is the exposure that german kids have to english also just yeah. everywhere i mean in every aspect of their lives uh, most of the cartoons of course are american cartoons that have just been dubbed over some things you can't translate so they'll just kind of have these uh English names. What about street signs? Are they in German or German and English? It might depend on where you are, I'm sure. Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely <laughs> right about that. Uh, I'm trying to remember. For the most part, German. Yeah. For the most part. But um, I believe stop signs just say stop. 
<laughs> Possibly. I'm trying to recall. That's yes. Yeah, but of course, anything that would be in a bigger city, for example, right. uh, anything that would be any kind of oh, this is where you need to go. It'll be in English too, and frequently also in um, uh, other languages. Yeah. Ex- <laughs> Yeah, the proximity to all those different yeah. countries, you kind of have a, a slew of, it makes the signs bigger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which can be convenient. <laughs> yeah. So um, one thing that is, is very different in terms of German um, education from the U.S. is that um, they begin tracking um, or putting students into tracks um, yeah. with different uh, academic destinations, shall we say, oh, yeah. um, at, at quite a young age, fourth grade, right? Yeah. Um, and so in fourth grade, um, families have to decide if you're going to go the university track mm-hmm. or what other tracks are there? So the other tracks, um, the way I usually explain it is there's the middle track, and then the, the you know, quote-unquote lower track, which isn't really lower. And there is uh, the ability to move back and forth between these yeah. later, but it is difficult. So the middle track, I would say, is more, uh, more geared towards trades, learning a trade through an apprenticeship eventually. And like a vocation? Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. So basically up until 10th grade, the university track and the middle track are very similar. They're... they're yeah, they're, they're not that different. But then at 10th grade, you really start to get into your acad- more academic studies mm-hmm. uh, in, the, in the upper rung, which is called uh, gymnasium. And then in the middle rung, which is Realschule, after 10th grade, you graduate. And then you generally go on to some sort of vocational school for an additional amount of time. Or you immediately take on uh, an apprenticeship somewhere, say with like a plumber or... Um, or even Schornsteinfeger, which is chimney sweeps. That's yeah. like a big one that's still, still represented there. It has like a very rich tradition, I was surprised. Yeah. So there's, in, in the, I guess for lack of a better word, the vocational track, mm-hmm. there's a, uh, a merger between like German companies, businesses mm-hmm. that work closely with these students Absolutely, in terms of apprenticeships, yeah. internships, mm-hmm. and it kind of helps them move into... A job, I assume. Absolutely, yeah. So this would essentially be, say you want to be a graphic designer, you would even take yeah. this route, or for like example. Or like bank teller. Yeah, or sure. Or like uh-huh. um, salesperson at a Absolutely. Or to work store. in a, a, a car manufacturer or right. a car rep- yeah. automobile Absolutely repair. That. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so it's, it's just like, way more extensive training, mm-hmm. I've felt, because they go to a specific type of vocational school. So say for a graphic designer, they'll go to an arts-oriented uh, vocational school mm-hmm. for an additional couple of years. Uh, where they'll they'll sort of complete their training, their uh, their specific training, and then they might get their apprenticeship. Well, they'll learn a specific job of some sort. So, in my experience, most Germans are just they have a lot more experience and specific job training um, that that may or may not equip them to to do a, a better job. So, you know? and the other track is a uni- towards the university. Correct? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So, is there a test? How do you, how do they sort you really? Yeah. So so that's the that's the it's real fourth question. Fourth grade. That's, yeah. Fourth yeah. grade. And I should <laughs> mention the uh, there is a third school which is called the Hauptschule, which is the uh, you know the lowest rung, and that's also ten years, I believe. And then that uh, generally does not lead to vocational school. Generally, you're done after that, and then you take on sort of laboring jobs, okay. say in, in construction or. Or you work, uh, you know, whatever uh, sort of basic job you might imagine. So, 
after fourth grade or during fourth grade, actually, the uh, it's your teachers get together and they they sort of consult and they basically decide what recommendation they want to give. And that, I that's mean, a lot of responsibility on teachers. It yeah, absolutely it is. is. They have to. But then I'll also say uh, I'm not sure if it's the same here in the states, but for those four years, you have the same teacher for the entire time. Okay. And they're uh, the leading yeah, voice. Different. So he or she knows you quite exactly. well. Exactly. They've known you yeah. for four years. Um, they've, you know, they're very acquainted with, with your skill sets and, and with your behaviors and everything. So they work together with the principal, who also tends to know you quite well after all that time, and a couple of key other uh, teachers uh, in the school to give their recommendation. Now, this recommendation isn't set in stone by any means. The final decision is up to the parents, um, where to apply, and then, of course, to the school, whether they accept you or not. Mm -hmm. So this can lead to some controversy because I personally had friends who were not given the gymnasium recommendation, the higher-rung recommendation, but their parents insisted that they go there. And they, and they weren't equipped to do that kind of academic work at that point in their lives um, because gymnasium is a very strict, uh, challenging setting. It really is. Yeah. It, it, it takes a toll, and if you're, if you're not ready for that, then it can be incredibly discouraging because if you've tried it and failed, you suddenly have a, a very different image about yourself um, that can be difficult to, to reconcile, uh, you know, for the rest of your life almost. Um, so this is a, a very important age. moment. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it's an incredibly important moment. And in my experience, people who went to the Realschule, or the middle rung, um, and, and could have gone to gymnasium, they were generally very successful. You know, they, they basically mm -hmm. breezed through everything. Um, and this gave them a, a level of self-esteem and self-worth that was really valuable to them later because after 10th grade, after graduating, you can go to vocational school, you can learn a trade, right. or you can transfer up to the higher rungs of the gymnasium if your grades are good enough. <coughs> and if you've done that, perhaps at this age you have a, you've developed a work ethic that will help you succeed as well. And those generally, in, in my opinion, are the, were the people that were most successful, that really um, got the best grades, did the best work, because they had kind of gotten this self-worth instilled, they developed their work ethic, and then they were ready to take on the, the really intensive nature of, of gymnasium schooling. I have to say, just for myself, I don't think I was a very promising young scholar in fourth grade. <laughs> Fourth grade My. is very early uh, to tell yeah. these things. I was a teacher's favorite in fourth grade, <laughs> by the way. So what can I say? <laughs> yeah, I think I probably would have been B-track. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, maybe they're better at sussing out potential than we yeah. are. And but I don't, I don't think I you would know, have this, been this university track with it. at that point. Very interesting implications just in terms of relationships between students. So mm -hmm. I was in a very, I was in an interesting situation because our gymnasium was housed in the same building as a Hauptschule. So okay. it was the top rung and the lowest rung in oh, the wow. same building. So we so were... So you interacted quite a bit, actually. Yeah, we did. At least but in the hallways or whatever. Exactly, yeah. But the interactions mostly consisted of us <coughs> getting beat up, quite frankly. Yeah. Really? Oh, wow. Absolutely. There was a tremendous amount of animosity. Which is understandable on some level because a lot of the gymnasium kids kind of had an air, sort of a snobbish air about them of kind of, 
I mean, it immediately sets up a hierarchy. Yeah. Sure, As a fourth absolutely. Grade, particularly children are going to exploit that, you know, in cases. Yeah. And they had heard it enough to the point where they were undiscerning. If you were, <laughs> you know, if you were going to gymnasium, <laughs> that meant that you deserved whatever was coming for you. So we had many, many incidents of wow. conflict between those two schools. Mm-hmm. Um, they've since changed that. Uh, but it, it was an interesting experience for me. That was like the first seven years of my, of my uh, gymnasium schooling. I was in the same building. Well, you, yeah. Interesting. <coughs> sorry, you, the gymnasium, uh, you say the education is intense. What does yeah. that mean? Describe that to an oh, American, yeah. uh, one of us sitting here. I mean, what, what does that mean? It's, it's just, so no, uh, forget about multiple choice tests. Those don't exist. It's written answer for everything. So you don't have uh, any true or false, nothing like that. Like you have yeah. to know the information and be able to give it back in your own words, which is a lot more challenging sure right off the bat you know and that that was a, a big component but then say my my uh, my french education uh basically we would have so you learned they taught english yeah and you obviously learned german because that yes. was language of instruction mm-hmm. yeah. sorry to interrupt um, oh, no, and then also french yes so we, we, and yes. i had to choose a second second language so mm-hmm. english was mandatory german obviously was happening anyway right and then another language, either French or Latin at this point. And I chose French uh, and... Bon. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, I enjoyed it very much. I had a wonderful teacher who uh, was the spitting image of Bugs Bunny somehow. I don't oh know. He was, he was Bugs Bunny personified <laughs> and in German, uh, Mr. Bigamon. And anyway, they would do very, very frequent vocabulary tests, also very extensive, just the grading. It was very strict. You would, you would almost immediately start writing essays in French. Um, Everything was just on a, on a higher level. Uh, the only thing I could compare it to here would be very strict sort of private, uh, possibly Catholic education. Um, because I did go to a, a Catholic school here in first grade. And of course, it was first grade, so it wasn't right, very right. challenging. But I, I think of, say, uh, Dead Poets Society. Okay. You know, okay. just, just yes. a very rigorous... That's one of my favorite movies. <laughs> oh, it's a fantastic film. But you're supposed to meet uh, the highest standards because you are the next generation that's going to carry Germany. Right. You know, it's Germany's highest professionals. All the lawyers, all of the uh, politicians, all of the doctors will have gone to gymnasium. So they really are trying to create the next cutting-edge generation. So and you can was it um, heavily uh, science Math oriented? Yeah, actually, so you than, choose. You choose. Okay. Oh, you so choose. I believe okay. it was ninth grade or so. You choose a track. So it, it, it's either uh, sort of humanities oriented. Or tracks. Or, exactly. <laughs> or science oriented. Okay. Uh, Naturwissenschaften, natural sciences, or Sozialwissenschaften, social sciences. And I foolishly chose natural sciences because my friends were in it. And okay. I should have known normal. better because that's that's, that's normal. For anyone that's who does that's it, that's right. age, do it my goodness, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, anyone that knows me knows that that isn't the right decision for me. Uh, and I luckily was able to switch later down the line. They they did allow for that, but it, it set me off on the wrong that? track. Difficult, also very difficult. difficult. Yeah, because you've wasted a considerable amount of time trying to struggle through chemistry, physics, and calculus. You know, yeah, like exactly. Yes. Which there is a basic level of. Uh, math education so basically what I was doing in math in in eighth grade in Germany I was still doing here in college algebra Mm. Um, I I found that you know to be very very impressive my sister is very math oriented she's even chosen later even in your in your gymnasium education you choose majors 
essentially, two of them, in which you'll be tested most extensively during the, the incredibly uh, severe testing of the abitur, or your sort of a baccalaureate type of testing to graduate. And she chose math, uh, which I can never understand. Uh, I, I s honestly doubt we're related anymore <laughs> <laughs> on some level. If we didn't look alike, you know. Yeah. I, I understand how those mm -hmm. doubts can come about. <laughs> um, so I'm looking at the clock. <laughs> Cliff has just nudged me. Um, and it does look like we need to take a break. So the International Power Hour will be right back. Welcome back to the International Power Hour. This is Jean Abshire. I'm here with my co-host Cliff Staten, and we have with us this morning our guest, who is also the International Power Hour intern, Tegan Sage. And we are talking about um, Tegan's youth in Germany. <laughs> you're still young. <laughs> <laughs> Relatively, yeah. Didn't yeah. mean to draw such a sharp line. Yes, I mean you're not like you're not a little kid, but <laughs> somewhere in between. I'm Somewhere trying to between. figure it out myself. Yeah. Young adult. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Um, so, uh, right before the break, uh, you were talking about um, the sort of exit exam um, mm, from yeah. Germany's highest level of um, secondary education, the gymnasium, mm -hmm. and um, and that that uh, exit exam is called the Abitur, mm -hmm. and it is um, it is notoriously challenging. Yes. Can you? So I, I know you didn't take it. And you can mm -hmm. explain to um, our listeners how, like, how that plays out and options mm -hmm. and stuff like that. But like leading up to the to the abitur, you 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 were in that before you decided to, you know, change your direction, end up in the U.S. Yes. Um. So, so if you could talk about that a little bit. Absolutely. So <clears throat> the abitur is uh, it is notoriously difficult as you said uh, I think it, it friends of mine still talk about having panic dreams to this day and it's been years for them you know I mean it's just it's uh, the hardest of tests because it's not like the standardized tests we have here it's a, a very in-depth evaluation of everything you've learned essentially by uh, by teachers by a panel of teachers really who are specialists in whatever it is that you uh, have chosen to study most specifically, I spoke briefly about those majors that you choose, or those focuses, I suppose. And you have to you have to write extensively. There's also um, oral exams, uh, and oh my, it's uh, that could be very intimidating. Indeed, it can. Yeah. So basically, the way it works is that after tenth grade in gymnasium, you have uh, two years of qualifications in which you have to reach uh, certain grades. Um, to qualify yourself to even take the test. So, um, let's see. So after I, going through gymnasium, yeah, through much the first of it, ten years, the first essentially. Ten, yeah, uh -huh. you you may not still even qualify to take the precisely the exam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, you've got to you've got to get certain kinds of grades and have a certain uh, level of attendance. I'd say. Yeah. Now, for me, I had kind of, I had started, I was in the first year of qualifications when I realized, you know what, I. This isn't for me. And as I mentioned earlier uh, with the, the middle rung, where you can move up after 10th grade, in Germany, in, in gymnasium, you can also stop after 10th grade in gymnasium. So, so basically, I had the equivalent of a middle rung graduation diploma. Um, and I said, you know what, this is great for me because I knew that I could go to school with that in America. Mm -hmm. And as a U.S. citizen, that's just kind of made sense for me. I, I knew I didn't want to study in Germany anyway, so it seemed kind of crazy to put myself through the Abitur process yeah. right. when it wasn't necessary for me. <clears throat> yeah. But a lot of my friends did, and I did get to uh, witness a little bit of that 
vicariously because I had not moved yet. So I, uh, they all graduated about six months, I suppose, after I, after I moved to the States. So I got to see a, a little bit of that. So you have to pass this exam, though, to get into the university, correct? Yes, yeah. that is absolutely true. So they do have... Um, so, so everything's riding on this one exam. It is, yes. Yeah. And when I say, and oh, it goes even, it goes even farther, um, because universities in Germany are free, as you right. probably know. Right. So depending on what you want to study, you have to have a certain grade point average. So if you want to study medicine, you basically Very need to have a 4.0, which I think in, in Abitur is, it's virtually unprecedented. I mean, it's, it's hardly ever seen, like a 4.0, right. whereas here I feel like it's, it's more attainable. There it's sort of this, this level of perfection that's almost unachievable, I think. Uh, there might have been one person in our class of hundreds that achieved that. I mean, it's, it's very impressive. It's highly competitive. So if you don't have the best GPA and you still want to study medicine, you can do that, but you're going to have a, a few so-called semester. So it means semesters that you have to wait out. So you have to let other people ahead of you who have either better grades or who have been waiting longer right. um, to get into the university even. And that doesn't even mean you're going to graduate necessarily. I mean, it just depends on your motivation. But a lot of people in that interim phase will go and actually go to a vocational school uh, with their abitur, mm -hmm. or they'll they'll learn some sort of trade that's related to the field. So a lot of people will, I don't know, say get trained as pharmacists or as nurses okay. even that before while they're waiting because right. they'll earn money doing mm -hmm. that, and it'll it'll start them off on that path um, before they actually get in to uh, actual medical school, yeah. uh, which I always thought was very uh, uh, very interesting. Yeah, you know, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's. Difficult abitur. So I left during the first qualification year, which is known as just Q1, and then there's Q2, and then you might be eligible to take the test. So you left and ultimately came back to the United States. Exactly, yeah. yeah. That's when I decided that uh, I should take what I'd learned in Germany and run with it, and I've, uh, I've had a great experience here in the States at schools. I, I chose to go to community college uh, because it was the most uh, cost efficient. And actually, in the end, I was very grateful for my experience there because I was able to meet uh, a lot of different people from, from all parts of the world yeah. and also from all walks of life and also of all ages, which was great for me. I think it really opened me up to uh, a lot of situations that I never would have been in otherwise really expanded my horizons. That was JCTC, right? It was, yeah. yes, in Louisville. You see a, mm -hmm. a lot more of our community's global diversity mm -hmm. Absolutely. there than you do in some other places. So, so what is your favorite memory of Rimshide? Oh, that's a great question. My favorite memory. I mean, my under I did a little bit of homework on the town, uh, oh, on right. the city. Actually, it's kind of known for its, its long history of, of industry in terms of tool making. Mm -hmm. That's Going true. back to the 15, 1600s. Yeah, the, yeah. The Hilger Brothers. Hil okay, yeah. I think, nice. Uh, you might even know more than me. <laughs> anyway, yes, <laughs> yes. Great. It has a yes, long absolutely. history of that. Yes. So, uh, <laughs> interestingly, actually, my, uh, my, my stepdad's father, so my, my opa, as I, right. as I refer to him, he uh, he made so he's he's studied carpentry, okay. much like I described. He he graduated and then he he got this apprenticeship. Sure. And he was in a home with a bunch of other boys where they lived. There was a live-in apprenticeship, and they learned from a master 
um, which is actually what they're called. It's a right. level of, sure. of yeah. job. These apprenticeships, I mean, this isn't just an internship in no. like the U.S. sense. I mean, this is yeah. a very serious It almost feels medieval to me program. in a way, yeah. you know, like they go there, they live there, they're with a bunch of other boys, they're all fairly young and that's their life, you know, it's... Uh, they learn this trade and they really learn it. So mm-hmm. he's he's good. He can yeah. do almost anything with wood and, and also metal, which was an interest of his. So he actually ended up making saw blades. That oh. was what he did for, for years after that, just sort of uh, with, with big, heavy machines and Interesting. Yeah, yeah. So yes, Ramscheid is very well known for its for its production of those things. It's also very close to the Ruhrgebiet, which is a big mining um, right. uh, community in Germany. It's uh, you know, it, it's one of the industrial powerhouses. Uh, it was actually occupied by the French uh, right. between World yes. War One and World War Two, yeah. which really crippled German recovery. So, but anyway, uh, getting back on track. Favorite memory in Ramscheid. I mean, it's it's a beautiful place. It's very hilly, um, and a lot of farmland. Mm-hmm. So a lot of uh, cows, <laughs> but it's it's very pretty. It's kind of okay. idyllic in a lot of ways. And I have a lot of fond memories of of riding bikes through through the pastures there. Sure. There's one particular uh, hill that just goes on for miles all the way down into the little uh, Dorf, which is the tiny old village, basically the old town that's still kept very uh very much as it always was yeah (laughs) Yeah. with the old church that was built Uh in the 1600s or something crazy like that and are there um, many tourists that come there or is it too much off the beaten path so to speak yeah i I don't think there are many tourists it's a very niche uh spot for people but the um let's see the uh ooh, let's see if i can conjure this so the the camino santiago i suppose Mm -hmm. the the pilgrimage path actually runs through oh Yeah. So it does have, you know, small numbers Uh of people. But fascinating. Yeah. So let's see. Well, one of my favorite memories, I have to say, uh, was shortly after we moved because, of course, I missed America tremendously. And it was uh, it was difficult for me, particularly to leave my grandparents, who were a big influence in my life. And I have this great memory. I think I had just moved, and uh, the doorbell rang, and I was hanging out with my best friend Jan. We'd played, you know, rock soccer, and he put me in the hospital, <laughs> and you know. <laughs> but uh, the doorbell rang. Great memories. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh. <laughs> Those uh, yes. The best. I'm really giving you guys the highlights. Um, <laughs> yeah. So the doorbell rang, and I went to open the door, and there were my grandparents, and they had oh, surprised me, goodness. and I didn't know. Oh, yeah. That's, oh, that's wonderful. yeah. Oh, it was wonderful. Yeah, it was so good to see them, and we actually have a picture of the moment when I opened the door. <laughs> it was great. And then, yeah, we got to hang out and, and do a lot of stuff together. And, and do you uh, want to do a shout out? Because are these the grandparents that are to. listening? They are, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'd love to uh, say hey to my grandparents, uh, Marla and Roger Black, who are dedicated listeners. Thank uh, you so much. <laughs> Thanks, guys. We appreciate you very that. Much. We do. That's wonderful. <laughs> yeah, so that was, that was great. And so I, it was wonderful because it really kept my connection to America alive. I always felt a... Uh, a really strong affinity for for American culture, uh, which might have been because absence makes the heart grow fonder. So on German television, are there any American shows? Absolutely. All of the American shows. But it's hilarious because they're all dubbed, of course. Yes. Right? So, and that (laughs) can be kind of funny because I can also watch it in English too. And I've done Mm -hmm. side-by-side comparisons. In some cases, the German version is funnier. (laughs) The jokes are just better because some of the cultural references, they have to change it. 
Right. right. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a very creative yeah. job. I actually might want to do that at some point because it's it's just such a you know you got to kind of reinvent the show in a lot of ways. You know, it's fascinating because um, I was living in Austria mm-hmm. um, back when the in the nineties when the X Files was initially out and popular. Right. And um, my father started in on the X Files here in the U.S. in season one and loved it mm-hmm. and just kept talking to me about the X Files, X Files, X Files, X Files. So then right. I'm in Austria, and it just it, it just comes there. Season one starts. I watch it. I become addicted also. I'm avidly racing home every whatever night <laughs> of the week to catch it because, um, you know, this is before streaming. Right. And uh, so I completely fell in love with the X-Files in German. Hmm. Didn't have English options. Came home and started watching the x-files in english okay i see where you're going here (laughs) disappointing yes okay unbelievable scully the Uh you know the female lead she was such a stronger character Mm. in german yeah than she was in english i'm just like (gasps) yeah Oh. There are a lot of interesting differences. Oh like my that. gosh! And, and you, you get used to the voices, yeah. and then all that, you know. Mm-hmm. And it was really a marked difference. There's a little bit of like, cognitive wow. dissonance as well. It's kind of like watching those old spaghetti westerns with Clint Eastwood, where they're in Italian and the mouths are kind of moving. That's and right. You're <laughs> there's no sound. Co- I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> that's it's right. A, it's a lot like that, but you get used to it really quick. Yeah. And honestly, a lot of my friends were very open to watching shows in English too, because they all speak English. It was no problem, and frequently they preferred the original. Um, so it really didn't impact me that much. So you come back to America, mm-hmm. and uh, was there a transition period, or did you kind of pick up where you <laughs> left off, or what were some of the obstacles, or if, yeah. if any? There were some. There were some. So I was lucky because I had come back virtually every summer um, to, to okay. spend time with my okay. grandparents. Okay. Yeah. So, I so would you come really back. kept feet in both cultures. Exactly, yeah. So I was back and forth almost every year if we could swing it. So uh, my grandparents have a houseboat here on Harrington Lake and I would spend almost every summer there that I could. Um, It's one of my favorite places. And so I was, I kinda knew what I was in for, but I I didn't have a lot of friends my age that I would spend a considerable amount of time with. Right. Right. There's one friend whose name is Brent and I've known her for my entire life. We uh, knew each other in Lexington before I moved. And so it was actually because I came to visit her in 2013 here in Louisville. Um, here in Louisville, you know, <laughs> we're basically it's in Louisville. It's metro, yeah. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and I loved it so much here because I, I was really impacted by the, uh, the cultural and, and, and artistic elements that I found here that, that weren't really as represented in small town Germany. Um, yeah. So all the concerts, we would always have to go to Dusseldorf or Cologne if we wanted to see any kind of big act. Like they never came anywhere close to, right. to Remscheid. Right. And how far was that to go to? It was about a two hour train ride Okay. because we always use public transportation. Yeah, I never learned to drive until I came here because mm-hmm. uh, oh, it's very expensive. It costs thousands of dollars and you have to go through almost as extensive training as you do for the Abitur. Yeah, you're required uh, to go to driving school. Yeah, and, you are. And it's, yeah. it's an intense process. Very expensive. So, yeah, it was... And unnecessary, really, for, <laughs> well, for most you would think, yeah. daily life. I yeah. mean, you can get around with public transit. Yeah, exactly. And, and it, yeah, it's beautiful, and it's mostly reliable. I mean, a lot of yeah. Germans would disagree that the Deutsche Bahn is... The, the German train system is reliable, they, because they have... You know, they're late sometimes by 20 minutes. I guess German standards yeah. might be different. 
uh, here sometimes the tart just doesn't show up at all. That's true. You know? Being five minutes late, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It is a different frame of reference. When yeah. unreliable is you know, 15 minutes late, that's pretty Yeah, but when I came here in 2013, uh, I was kind of overwhelmed mostly just by uh, the, the uh, clout that social media had. Because uh, that wasn't something that I was really subjected to in such a big way. Most of my friends weren't really interested in that and still aren't. Um, but things like Vine were happening here and Instagram and Snapchat, which we had not received yet. It kind of Everything kind of happens in Germany with a little bit of a delay uh, okay. that happens in America. So we hadn't received those, <laughs> those things yet. And so basically my friends picked me up uh, in Chicago. I flew in in 2013. It was Brent and a couple of other of our friends. And um, they were all on their phones, just just kind of showing each other vines, and and I, I was kind of put, I was I was really taken aback, like because we weren't interacting too much, or it felt to me compared to what right. it was in Germany, where there was a lot more conversation and face to face. You know, if you were on your phone, someone would take it and throw it across the room, and of course it was like a you know like a Nokia basically, so it could never break, something like that. <laughs> you know, one of those dumb phones. Um, so yeah, that that was a big one. Social media. I had to kind of. I got my first iPhone when I came here. You know, I was kind of like, "Whoa, what is this?" Um, and then, other than that, nothing huge. So maybe people wear more tennis shoes. That yes. might have been one. Footwear is kind of an, an interesting. Uh, That's true. An interesting thing. But other than that, you can always spot the Americans at the airport because they're usually wearing like trainers you know yeah. like tennis shoes right. with complete like dress clothes they're very dressed up but they've got tennis shoes on it's like oh they're they're my they're my people you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah who can't respect that you know so i'm looking at the clock i think we do need to take um, one more break here <laughs> so the international power hour will be right back Welcome back to the International Power Hour. This is Jean Abshire. I'm here with my co-host, Cliff Staten. And also our guest this morning is Tegan um, Sage, our intern with the Power Hour this semester, who has been talking about um, his childhood growing up in Germany, um, U.S. citizen, born in the U.S., but living in Germany from age uh, 7 to 20. Yeah, right? roughly. Ish. Mm-hmm. Um, and then coming here going to college. Hmm. Um, we talked a little bit about, you know, what struck you when you, when you first arrived. Um, but, um, you know, and we've talked obviously about some, some comparisons between the education systems and such, but um, what do you, like, in terms of attitude and, and cultural hmm. things, I mean, I know you're still connected with um, some German cultural elements within Louisville. Um, yeah, you, that's true. You work in a, in a Germanic environment. You can talk about that if you want. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, like, what do you, what are, what are some cultural differences that you, mm. that you notice? And if anything, like, especially early on sort of like would catch you by surprise or anything like that? Yeah. Yeah. Thing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I, at this, at this time I, I, I'm a server. I work in, uh, at the Gasthaus in Louisville, which is a great working environment. I've been there for about three years now, but it's uh, family owned and run and uh, the, the family is German. So they're, they're from the same area of Germany as I am, actually. We might have run into oh, each other on the streets, uh, you know. But it is a small world. <laughs> it, it is. It is, yeah. Louisville, Kentucky. Yeah. So um, let's see. The first thing that I would say that I noticed when I moved over there and that I still continue to notice is just Germans tend to be more blunt. They tend to be uh, very upfront with you. Whatever their opinions are, they'll, they'll tell you. They, they don't tend to hold back generally about those things. And, and I feel like people can often um, 
interpret that as maybe a gruffness and along with the language that appears to intimidate a lot of people for some reason, uh, which I've never understood. I don't really, I, um, me either. You can make any language sound <laughs> aggressive. Absolutely, yeah. that's right. Yes, Absolutely. you can. Yeah. You can. But those two elements might might lead to people thinking, oh, Germans are very, you know, serious. That's been the, the general connotation. Yeah. One big thing also is just the uh, sense of personal space is different. Yes. So the Germany being smaller, houses tend to be built up as opposed to uh, sort of horizontally. Um, so, for example, we went to the movie theater with, with my grandparents pretty mm -hmm. early on, and um, we sat down, and the whole theater is basically empty, and a couple other people come in. They sit down right next to my grandpa. Yep. <laughs> and uh, he was just like, you know. Um, <laughs> and, and looking back, yeah, it's, it's, that is kind of how it is. People have a very different sense of personal space. That is something you definitely notice. Mm -hmm. You yes. kind of have to get used to that after yes. a while. And now, having been raised in Germany, sometimes I'll be walking through the hall, uh, maybe even with a friend, and they'll accidentally touch my arm as they're walking, and they'll immediately apologize. And they're like, oh, it's okay. You're allowed to, you know, you're allowed to touch me. That's fine. So I have a very different sense now. I'm very much an American that's, uh, that has these European uh, ideas instilled in him, for yeah. sure. Um, so that, I mean, that brings up another thing. Like, you, I mean, you are very much, and we started out with this, but, um, you know, we can kind of hit it again and maybe elaborate a little bit more. Um, you are very much somebody who is, who is bicultural. Mm, yeah. Not just somebody who has been in, you know, spent time in, in one place or another place, you, you seem truly bicultural. Mm -hmm. Like both, both are completely home. Yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Yeah. Which has pros and cons. I mean, you get the, obviously you get the, uh, the beauty of having multiple homes, but then you also have to miss a home always almost. Yeah. So it's, it has changed the way that I think about my place in the world, I'd say. Uh, and I, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't change anything about it. As a matter of fact, I would recommend it to anyone, really, um, because it, it really does open you up to a lot of interesting possibilities. Thinking about your place in the world, um, seeing that you can be at home in multiple cultures, mm -hmm. it kind of implies that the possibilities are endless. You know, you, yeah. could, you could feel at home uh, in any culture, maybe. Um, and then it, it kind it of gives generates you that uh, sense of, of confidence in life, period. In a lot of ways, yeah, because I, I learned early on to, to navigate these different cultural uh, norms. And, and, and I have had the opportunity to travel quite a bit uh, with everything being as it is in, in Europe, very close. Yes. Um, and I don't think I would have had the courage to do that had I not had these initial experiences. Um, and of course, it's influenced what I want to do uh, professionally I'm very interested in in bridging uh, United States uh, European relations in some way that's mm -hmm. why I study international studies um, and and I can't imagine ever uh, staying in one place without being able to travel and, and connect my interests because yeah it is I, I do live in two places two yeah. homes yeah mm -hmm. It's a little poignant. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, you're always oh, there's always something missing. Yeah, but it's also anyway. a, but it's also a gift to yeah. to be able to always have something missing because yeah, it absolutely. indicates like truly being. It's such a wonderful thing. In two places. It is, yeah, and and uh, and I carry it with me. I can I can walk the streets of of Remscheid and uh, in my mind I do that sometimes if I can't fall asleep I'll just walk through my hometown and I can I have it memorized because you had to walk everywhere right, right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it's uh, it's a great public thing. transit <laughs> yeah 
<laughs> no, it's an asset. And I think yeah. that it's, um, I'm, I'm super thankful for that experience that, uh, that I was able to have through my mother. She did open, um, open up worlds to me through that. I think that was, that was incredible. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Um, well, I, I know you have to go to class. <laughs> mm, that's true. <laughs> so, <laughs> Unfortunately. Uh, and as, as does Cliff, <laughs> which is what has been behind um, our uh, passports and, and politics uh, episodes. So um, I think we are going to end this uh, segment a little bit early. Um, and uh, we will, we're going to, repeat uh, Cliff's Passports and Politics um, for Cuba, but I am going to uh, let our two guests go here and just for about a minute um, say something or mention a a kind of a a, a current event kind of recent development that's going on um, in the news today that might otherwise be missed. So I will uh, I will do that briefly. But um, before we let you you go, yes, thank Thank you you. very, very much. Thank you guys so much for letting me uh, see the other side of of production here. This has been a great experience. (laughs) I have a a newfound respect for what you guys do and for our guests, too. I mean, they always have kind of a nervous look on their face, maybe. But (laughs) no, it's it's so much fun. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. It's been fun chatting. (laughs) So, um, Thanks to our listeners, <laughs> and thank you, Cliff and Tegan. So, uh, the thing that has been going on um, in the in the world that I think is is worth paying some attention to is a renewed conflict between India and Pakistan. Um, things have been bubbling um, a little bit more for about the last uh, two weeks. Uh, there was a terrorist attack um, out of. Pakistan on Indian troops in a disputed region in northern um, India slash southern Pakistan called Kashmir. Um, This is a a beautiful mountain valley that um, both India and Pakistan claim to control or claim all of, um, but in fact, both countries, India and Pakistan, only control parts of. And it has been a a source of conflict between India and Pakistan um, for actually since um, the partition of India and Pakistan at, at independence uh, from Britain. And what we've seen actually just um, in the last really 24 hours is a heightening of the conflict and and escalation um, because there have been um, military aircraft, uh, apparently uh, um, reports are still kind of coming in, um, but apparently on both sides, both India and Pakistan have shot uh, planes out of the air over uh, Kashmir. And um, this is, this is a significant escalation. There are, are regularly, um, uh, there's regularly shooting um, across what is called the line of control or the division in the region of Kashmir between India and Pakistan. Um, But having actual uh, air attacks is a is a very different thing. And the reason that I wanted to mention this is that um, India and Pakistan are both nuclear powers. Um, neither India nor Pakistan has signed the um, Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty, which is um, the big international treaty that tries to limit the spread of nuclear weapons. And so, um, you know, neither has agreed to limits. Both have nuclear weapons. And um, certainly, uh, you know, I, I, I don't expect that this will end in a nuclear conflict, but it is important for listeners to know that um Wars happen not always intentionally. Um, wars can absolutely happen through miscalculation and misperception. Um, it is not a fact that uh, a leader will get out of bed one day and say, hey, I'm going to start a war. Sometimes we just slide into war. And uh, that is 
that is a risk here. And so I think uh, this is the first time that we have seen conflict um, like this in about 40 years. Um, both sides have, uh, you know, made comments warning against escalation, um, but it is absolutely something to watch. And there's so much other news going on uh, this week, um, international and domestic, that I wanted to try to make sure that this one was not lost. And now we will replay Passports and Politics from Cuba. <laughs> 